right, well, it's good to be together here. It's good to worship and hear from Herman and uh, be together. I heard last week was amazing. If you weren't here, we had a huge harvest festival out there on the in the in the lot, and uh, it, it sounded like amazing. I was visiting my son, so I got to miss out. If there was any ever a week, I wish I could have been in two places at once. I heard the food was amazing, the dancers were amazing, and we had a pony. So, I mean, that, that, that sounded like a hit. I heard every kid went on the pony like five times each. There was even some really big kids on the pony, I heard. But I just thought that was amazing. Uh, Monica, you got to thank your friend that brought the pony. And, uh, and he didn't even charge us anything for the pony. So it was just like a, a love gift of the pony there. So I, w- I wish I could have seen that. But that was awesome. And a couple things. Um, Next Saturday, for anybody who wants to come, the Yesters are having a kind of an annual costume party that they have from 6 to 9, if you guys want to be there. Uh, it's a sci-fi theme. So you get to see your friends, not just on Sunday, you can see them on Friday night, too. And uh, next week, we're having our first family group leaders meeting, I think, I don't know if it's of the year, but we just took a break for a while. We felt like we wanted to mix it up a little bit, and so this is our first one in a long time. So we're kind of, if you want to come... Come join us. We won't make you lead a family group if you don't want to, but you can just come and see what's going on and uh, as we just talk about uh, where we're going as a church, et cetera, and just have some great time. So I wanted to open that up there. And today we're going to be talking about the Spirit. The Spirit is on me from Luke chapter 4. That's amazing. I, I kind of send my slides. This is like a trade secret here. I send my slides into Roy, and he makes them look really good. So I just looked up. And I was like, wow, that was so much better than what I sent you. Um, So thank you for always making me look good. I guess I gave away my secret. Um, But we've been looking at the Holy Spirit and just how he's been showing up in the book of Luke. And we talked about Mary and Elizabeth and and just their their willingness to be led by the Spirit and just the fellowship of the Spirit. We talked about Jesus at his baptism and just the God coming down and saying, this is my son whom I love, I'm well pleased, and just that, what all of us need to hear from God. You're my child, I love you, and I'm proud of you. And that's what we try to do, if you have kids, that's what you've been trying to do with your kids from the time they came out, is just trying to help them to know these things, and that God loves them. And then Jesus goes into the whole, uh, led by the Spirit into the Jordan to be tempted, and and. Now we're coming up to his first sermon in his hometown, and uh, I'll just start by saying that in everything, especially the bit of what we're going to read today, I was struggling this week to think about how do I do this, you know, and how do I not just put together a lesson, but how do I live this? How do I experience this? What is God calling us to do? Who is he calling us to be? How do we see God around us? What is the the message? Because it wasn't just a message for a long time ago. That it's supposed to be a message for now. And it's supposed to lead us in the situations that we're in. And so what I realized even before I start is that I fall so short of living these principles. And it's amazing when you get closer to Jesus, you realize that you need grace a lot more. And I'm, I'm, I'm calling all of us, even before I start, to just wrestle with these principles 
and with our willingness to follow Christ. And with our willingness to embrace how far short we fall. Because some of us, we're still struggling with grace, right? We're still struggling with the first part, what we talked about weeks ago, that God loves us and he's proud of us and we're his child. We're still like back there and now we're getting to Jesus. And it's impossible to live for Christ if you don't know that God is with you. That he's got your back, that he loves you, that no matter what happens... Whether you have the worst day or the best day, he loves you the same. That there's nothing you can do to make him feel like, oh, well, now you're really my good, good boy or good girl today. No, he's, he loves us even on our, especially on our worst day. And so I'll just start with that and we're going to, let's say a prayer and we'll get started. Uh, Father, we do thank you for this time. Thank you for the time to worship you already and just to pray for your will, and, and uh, even as the song says, that it will come before our face. It would come before our hearts and our minds, God. Help us to listen uh, with ears that hear, God. Please get me out of the way so that your word can talk to us. Uh, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Luke chapter 4 and verse 14, after Jesus' temptation, it says, In the, in the power of the Spirit, he returned to Galilee. And a report about him spread through the surrounding region. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, which was where he was brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And so Jesus is doing these amazing miracles, and then he goes home for the first time after he's kind of revealed in a small way who he is. After his baptism, he goes back there, and, and our faith really begins at home. Yeah. It begins with the people that we're closest with, the people that really know us, that you can't hide from. You know, any of us that live with other people, we realize that forgiveness begins at home. That grace begins at home, that we're, we're, we need to forgive each other. That we're, who we really are is there when we're not putting on a show for anyone and people know our business. And that's, that was Jesus. He's going home and I asked some, some of the people in Kids Kingdom what home means. And, you know, there was all kinds of different experiences. And uh, someone that grew up in the desert said home means... Now, everywhere I go, I see people that I know. And I see kids of people that I know. And Sydney was sharing as a dance school instructor. She sees all kinds of people, all kinds of families. And it's just like, I imagine that's about what it was like for Jesus. That everybody knew each other and they probably married each other's cousins and sisters. And not, not sisters, but like you're not in the same family, you know, but like. Poncho's sister and my brother or whatever, okay? It wasn't, we weren't in West Virginia back there. It was, uh, it was Galilee. <laughs> and so, Jesus was coming home to people that really knew who he was. You would think, man, this is going to be a homecoming that you got a hero coming home. It's like, uh, you won the Super Bowl, now you're coming home. And uh, we're going to read how he was uh, received here in just a minute. It says uh, in verse 17, it says he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me 
Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this is the part that we, I want us to wrestle with. This is the most difficult part of Christ. This, is his, this isn't just a sermon from him. This was his life. This was his, what he believed about God. This is what he wanted. This is what he was all about. And so he's there preaching to people in Nazareth. It doesn't have the same flavor when I say it today, but when you said Nazareth, people go, ooh, that place is evil. That place is bad. That place is far from God. It was like they were the worst of Israel. And so when he's talking about the poor and the oppressed, they were saying, yes, that's us. We're poor. We're oppressed. We're looked down on when we go to Jerusalem. We're the ones that people don't want to sit by. They were the captives. And they had Romans all around them to remind them that they were not free. And they were suffering. And so as Jesus was going, they were like, man, I am there. This is my guy. He knows what I feel. He's one of us. He grew up the same. And Jesus went around and he picked fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and prostitutes and sinners. And they, that was their people. That wasn't the people that we would necessarily pick. But it was the ones who Jesus picked. They weren't the all-stars. They didn't have the great jobs. They didn't have all the degrees. They wouldn't have been writing the study that Herman was sharing from Harvard and all these other places. They were just regular Messed up people. And Jesus had a place for them. But to think about what, who we would have picked. Why did Jesus pick them? I mean, you read the Bible, you know, Jesus did everything for a reason. He didn't, it wasn't like a random thing. He picked the poor and the oppressed and the captives, and the suffering, and the humble. You know, even us lately, and you know, it wasn't... Jesus also reached Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, so he reached people of means as well. He reached everyone. But the, the people of means were the ones that they expected. It was the, the other part that was a surprise. And you might think even about us as a church... You know, why, why have we been talking about the fine food bank so much? You ever had that thought? Why are we announcing it all the time? It's not just because we have, need something else to do. We're not busy enough. It's because we need to be around those in need. Those that are hurting, suffering, oppressed. Because it's probably not you if you're here. But that's what Jesus, that's who he leaned in towards. The, the rescue mission and the, 
the Washington Street apartments across the street. We have been here for 10 years and we didn't even know that they were there. Elderly, disabled facility run by the, the, the county, I believe. We went on a simple prayer walk that, or drive that took about an hour and we realized, wow, what are we doing? Are we, are we with the people we're supposed to be with? Are we, are we, why? Why are we just here? Why don't we know? Why didn't we know until that point? There's a reason. May not be a reason we want to hear. But he's, I, I, I'm not saying that to say that we're terrible people. I'm just saying God's opening up our eyes. He's opening up our minds. Use some imagination about who would Jesus hang out with? And how can we be around? How can we help everyone, help people that we're around, help people that we're not around to know him and to ask ourselves, are we willing? Is there a willingness? Do I want to be like Christ? That's where I struggle to make it personal. You know, I've been so grateful for this uh, master's program that everyone's been supporting, you know, of, of us doing here and even some financially, but, you know, we got like two months left, and it's like pandemonium right now. Every waking moment is something, paper, comment, project, whatever. But I'm so grateful because it's opened me up to this. I feel like we've learned like 10 plus years in two. We've learned. I've learned more in the last two years than I probably had in 30 because it was just a lot of good stuff like this and just noticing where Jesus spent his time and noticing who he hung out with and thinking about how does that affect all of us? Where where does God want us to be? How can we help? Do I want to help? And he talked about salvation in in a big sense. It was spiritual And he talked about the year of Jubilee, which happened at Yom Kippur when they sacrificed the lamb. And it was symbolic of the forgiveness of the nation, but it was also tangible. It wasn't just spiritual. It wasn't just like, oh, great, you're saved now. Now you're good. No, it was everything. Love and help and compassion and healing and exorcism and wanting good for other people and Even the passage that this comes out of, it talks about true fasting and sharing of your food and sharing of your clothes and feeding people. And in my mind, just being good people. I know some of us, we've grown up. No, you're not allowed to say that you're a good person, but Jesus calls us to be good people. Just do the right thing. Smile. Be happy. Be serve. Help. It's not rocket science. Sometimes we don't think about that. Though we're so busy doing whatever we're doing, we're just not taking Jesus with us. We're just getting our jobs done. Right? I can relate. Can you? Amen. There's sometimes when Jesus healed people, the paralytic of his sin, and he helped them to walk. You know, he was saved like twice. Saved from his affliction, but also saved from his sin. You know, Jesus, he, Luke uses the, the, Jesus used the word blind there, and 
Jesus, in, in his gospel, only heals one blind person, but he uses the word blind 11 times for people that don't really see the right way, that missed what Jesus was telling them, that couldn't understand the parables, that didn't understand the message. That, and for us, that's the danger, that we read the word every day, but we miss the message. And I hope that we can see what the message is here today. And, you know, this week, uh, I mean, that sounds like a great sermon, right? But when I look at that sermon, that sounds really painful. They're oppressed. Poor. The prisoners. The blind. Man, that's, that's a lot. That's heavy. You know, I realize this week has been a heavy week. Three different close friends that are suffering. That's just three people. Jesus had the whole entire world. You know, Punch, Punch over here with his mom, and two friends whose children are suffering. And I'm like, wow, that's what we do for each other. That's, what, that's the life that Jesus is mapping out. You can't be, live that vision and not have pain and not feel. I don't know about you, but I'm like, man, are, do, I really, do, I really want, do I really want Jesus if that's where he wants me to go? That was what I was wrestling with this week. Like, I, I don't, I want like the party Jesus. Like, let's do life to the full. Let's not do this whole suffering thing. And he's like, they're, they're, they're both together. You can't do one without the other. You have life in the suffering. You have victory in the, the defeats. And you have resurrection in the cross. It's together. They're both the same. So there you go. That's what I want you to, us to wrestle with. I have other things to say, but that was really the hard part. To wrestle with the, the heart of Jesus. And that's what the people of Nazareth were doing as he was saying. That might not have been what they were looking for. It says he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of this all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his mouth. And there's a lot happening in this little part of the scripture there. First of all, it says they were amazed at his gracious words. When you read the whole thing, I don't know how really amazed they were at his gracious words. Maybe... Looking back on it, they were amazed, but in the moment, they might not have been so amazed. But the fact that Jesus said, today, this scripture is fulfilled, that had never been done before. Because it was written originally when the captives were coming out of captivity, the Israelites were going back home, it was a big party, celebration, and now Jesus is saying, oh, the, the Jubilee starts today, I don't think it was the right day on the calendar. It probably wasn't like Yom Kippur that day. He just said, today, yeah, today's the day. 
where salvation begins. You know, for God, now is always the day. Today is always the day. You ever notice that? Everyone Jesus was with, and ever just said, well, come back tomorrow, come back next week. It's like, no, today is the day. Now is the day. God is with us today like that song that we sung. When you're looking for him, you see him everywhere. Not just the church, but wherever you are. Today's the day of salvation. They said, is this not Joseph's son? See, I told you they weren't all excited. He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here also in your hometown the things we heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And Luke's probably making a play here of, are you Joseph's son or are you God's son? Like, what is it? Like in Acts 2, when they started speaking in tongues, everyone saying, wait a second, these guys are Galileans. This can't be happening. Those probably weren't the people that got baptized. They weren't the ones that were seeing God in that moment. They were so stuck on, who are you? Prove it to us. Another line that you don't really want to do to Jesus. When you look at everyone who's, give me a miracle. He never does one for them. That's coming from a heart of like, who are you? I don't think I like where this is going, Jesus. And he talks about his hometown, and this is my, uh, it's kind of updated, but this is my elementary school here in the picture. And right there, it used to be older and everything, but that's where we get picked up on rainy days in Florida. You get those a lot right there, and mom comes through and picks you up. You don't have to get all wet. You know, I was thinking about growing up, we would play sports all the time. We would ride bikes jump ramps. Uh, we would go kind of eat fruit from all the neighbor's fruit trees, too. We would kind of go around. We knew where all the trees were, and we had all these. Sometimes we'd sell them, you know. Make. I was like, people would buy, like, mangoes for, like, 3 or $4 each, you know. I'm like, man, they, they were just, like, helping us out there. We thought we were really good salespeople. You know, I meant when I took my kids back there, we... We drove around, and I didn't really plan this, but everywhere we went, I was like, yeah, I got in a fight with somebody, right, so-and-so right here, and we go around the corner. I got in a fight with so-and-so over here, and oh, yeah, I remember when I got jumped over here, and maybe those were the people that were kind of stirring it up for Jesus. Maybe they didn't like, he was probably like the best at everything, so probably not everybody liked him. Anyway, that was just a little thought I had anyway there. I'm sure Jesus wasn't getting in fights, but uh, people probably didn't like him nonetheless. But how are you? Uh, I'm sure you're relating, like, how your faith is accepted in your hometown, in your house, in your family, in your surroundings. And maybe they don't appreciate how you do things or how you give or, how, you know, Herman's speech, you don't give that much. I mean, that's too, you know, I don't know, whatever. Maybe they don't like your career choice, or maybe you're not living the life they want you to live. That's how Jesus was greeted in his hometown. And yet he stuck with them, and he, he won his family over, and 
this was an interesting start. But he, he, uh, he continued to do miracles in their area within miles of their house, of his hometown. He would do miracles and I'm sure he knew that things were going to be a little different, that people needed some time. We're going to get to that in a minute here, but let's continue. It says, but the truth is, there are many widows. This is where it kind of changes here. He says, the truth is, there are many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah. When the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were so many there were also many with the skin disease in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And so Jesus starts highlighting these people that are outside of Israel, the Gentiles, who were hated even more than the Nazareth Nazarites. And he's maybe emphasizing that he is a prophet, that maybe he's going to die as a lot of the prophets died. But Jesus broke barriers. Here he's talking about a racial barrier. He's also talking about a spiritual barrier because if you think there was no one that hated each other more than Jews and Gentiles on both sides. You know, I can't even say that without just saying pray for the Middle East. That was part of my troubles this week, just even looking at those pictures and just thinking, man, this is so, so sad. But he broke barriers. He broke slave and free barriers. He broke barriers between the powerful and the poor. He broke barriers for men and women. Just everywhere he went. But he didn't cause a revolution, like a, a military revolution. He could have, but he just he didn't. He, he changed everything, but not quite everything in the way that most people would want him to change it. Maybe that's what his hometown was wanting. They were so oppressed that if he would have done a few miracles, they might have just risen up and taken over, tried to take over and started a big war. He did that. He tried to avoid that. But anyways, Jesus redefined what home was. Home was not, not just your family, it was God's family. It was those that followed him. It was different. And this next part, it was, I still, I've always wondered about this last part. He says, when they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage they got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, so they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed right through the midst of them and went on his way. And I just thought, man, this is a... I didn't see that coming. Like, he just mentions a couple of people outside of Israel, and all of a sudden they want to kill him. They want to take him up and just throw him off the cliff right away. I mean, are they really that racist? Are they that angry? I don't, I don't know. Are they what they are? But it just made me, it always has made me wonder, like, just saying the word, is it? I mean, we might get mad if somebody says something that we don't like about, but I don't know that we would get, like, that crazy. 
But I started thinking even this week as I was reading that, um, why would you do that? Why would you get so angry that he's helping other people? And it hit me that if Galilee is the worst and they feel like they're the most oppressed and they're feeling like this is God's prophet and he's saying, I'm not going to help you. He said that. He said, I didn't help any of the widows except for this one. What did they hear? God, God hates us. God's not going to, he's, he's come, he's going to do this great thing and it's not going to include us because we're the worst. Now, I don't know if that's exactly, but that kind of made sense. Like, we're tired of waiting. Enough. That song we sing a lot of times since Jason's come, that how long? Like, how long are we going to wait? No, we got to do it now. They didn't like the way Jesus was doing it. So they took him up to the top of the hill and... Even there, Jesus let them take him to the top of the hill. Like, it wasn't like right outside the parking lot. It was, they had to go, go a ways. He just walked along with them and, like, why would you do that? I don't know. Let him get to that point and say, okay, that's enough. And then I think, I picture Jesus just having compassion on them even then. They're missing it that they're blind, that they don't, they don't get it. Like, if it were me, I would be like, get off of me! And just, like, make them fall down and then walk through and be like, put my dust on your face, you know, angry. Who do you think you are? Jesus is like, oh, you know, you're going to get it. I know you're hurt. I know you're hurt. But he didn't have fear, even in that moment. We live our lives so much with fear, I can't even talk about that. But it made me think that whatever Jesus was giving them, they did not want it. It made me ask that question, what do I want from Jesus? What do I want? What do you want from Jesus? What do we want from Jesus? Do we want the things that he's trying to give us, or do we want the things that we want him to give us? Because he's already said what he wants. He wants you to help people to be free. In every sense of the word. To be saved. You know, we had our harvest festival last week. And if you came to that and you came back today. You probably wanted to have that one again. Right? That's like the week when we're like rock stars, right? It's amazing. It's awesome. The food is everything. We got ponies. We got all kinds of, everything is awesome. You know, maybe even for our church, we want that. We want it to be just mind-blowing. When people come in, they're just blown away. I had one person, I don't even remember where this church was. It might have been. All they kept talking about was, man, they had like a, they had a fish tank that was like 50 feet long. Maybe you want that. You know, we're not, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't know where that, who even came up with that idea to have a big fish tank and, and be really cool. Not that I hate fish, but I don't see where that 
in church and what Jesus was talking about necessarily goes together. Do we want a popular church? Do we want a popular message? Do we want a political church? Do we want us to really take solid stands in all these other areas? Do we want a revolution? Do we want to just like do away with church? What do you really want? What is God calling you today? When you hear his message, when you hear his heart, where is he leading you? And if, he's, if you're kind of getting it, you're probably going, oh, I don't know if I want to go there. That's probably exactly where he's telling you to go. That's where they didn't want to go. They're like, oh, I'm not going there. That's what I was wrestling with. I don't want to go there. That's where Jesus was. I read this guy named Ron Rollheiser. He helped me a lot on our sabbatical. Basically, the point was, be spiritual where you are and in the place in life where you occupy. That the Spirit has got you right where you are and your call and my call is to accept it. I don't need to fight it. I don't need to want to be somewhere else. That I can be spiritual exactly where I am. I didn't want to hear that either. And probably you might not either. But because it calls us to be patient and to be faithful and to carry each other's burdens and to look for God. That it's not as obvious. We've got to actually have eyes that see. But God's got you exactly where you are. And he's brought us here today and calls us to follow Christ, whatever that means for each of us. I'm going to close out with these scriptures as we take communion together. I don't even know if you could see that. But it's Luke 4, 17 and Luke 9, 23. Um, And really wrestle with how do these scriptures go together? Because this is... They're both Jesus, and they're both pretty all-encompassing, but how do, you, how do they fit together? It says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, what we read today, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free those who were oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord. And then a little while later, he said, then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That's the same thing. Jesus taking up his cross, taking up the the oppressed and the poor, and ultimately going to the cross for our sins. But what surprises you about this call? What surprises you about these scriptures? What is God trying to get us to be? Who, who, who is God trying to get us to be? How can we see and reflect this good news to the poor? How can we be active with those who are being held captive even now? How can we be around them? How can we help them? How can we help ourselves and other people to see where God is calling them? To experience this freedom and favor that the Lord has for us. That's the message for us. 
That was the life of Christ. There's so much power in these words that I couldn't even imagine, couldn't even scratch the surface. But let's pray as we take our communion and look at Christ. Father, we thank you for this time to uh, be a part of your world and be a part of your church and be a part of uh, this time to wrestle with Jesus, to look at his words, to, uh, I pray you speak to us, God. Help us to be called by you, be called by, maybe it's someone even under our own roof that you're calling us towards. Maybe it's just an openness to see you in in different places, to look around and see where you're calling us by your spirit every day. God, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for that he uh, lived the life that he did, coming from the place that was considered the worst of the worst and dying in the place that was considered also the worst of the worst so that he could relate to each of us, that no one could say that their life was worse than yours, and that no one could say that you couldn't redeem them because you redeemed your son, who is lifeless. So thank you for that sacrifice. Thank you for that example. Thank you for his heart to want to uh, carry us, God. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.